right, guys. Welcome back to the Ventilator Podcast, uh, where we talk about all things ventilator. Uh, as always, my name is Jerome Lovelady. We have Michael Schaff and Caleb Curtis with us as well. Um, wanting to do a continuation of what we were talking about on the last podcast on non-invasive ventilation. Uh, but before we get started, um, you know, I have to ask how you guys are doing. Uh, it feels like forever that we don't get to uh, really talk to each other. So how are you guys doing this morning? Doing fantastic. I'm vertical and I got a job. It's storming outside as usual. Tornado season, you know, you got the naders coming. So <laughs> you always have to worry about the tornadoes, <laughs> especially where you live, Jerome. So, Oh, man. Alabama's world's worst for this thing. So, um it's not bad right now. It has been raining, but it looks like the sun's starting to come out just a little bit. So uh, maybe, just maybe, it, it might turn out to be a pretty day outside. Uh, but um, guys, uh, we wanted to kind of do a part two from the last podcast because we had so much information that we were talking about. And I don't feel like that we really just uh, explored it to where we needed to. So, uh, Shoff, um Kind of wanted to throw it to you uh, and uh, see if we can continue on into the non-invasive ventilation side of things. Yeah, thanks, uh, Jerome. Appreciate that. Um, I'm glad I'm here today, and thanks for everybody listening. So we talked a little bit about non-invasive in the previous module, and uh, we're going to go a little bit deeper now. You know, there's a lot of confusion as to um, non-invasive and all the acronyms surrounding it. You know, years ago, we would just put a patient on CPAP with pressure support, right? So if you had a ventilator that did SIMV, you would just go ahead and zero out the breath rate because SIMV is going to give you pressure support. So you're going to give the patient pressure support and CPAP repeat. And that's it, right? And you titrate the tidal volumes accordingly, the exhale tidal volumes with the pressure. So that's all it really is. It's just a lot of names around those uh, settings within your transport ventilator that you have to know. You got to know your transport ventilator very well. And for the most case, most people that I run into have trouble with non-invasive because they don't do it enough. Basically, that's that's quite the problem. So I'm going to give you a quick scenario to try to nail down some real important things that we need to pay attention to. We're going to go into the hospital and pick up a patient that's on a hospital BiPAP machine, and we're going to transfer them onto our ventilator. So when you get to the hospital, typically, you know, the most popular um, BiPAP machine in the hospital is the V60. The Vision was the previous model, and there was numerous other models um, before that. But essentially, all they are is flow generators targeting your pressure. Some of them now target volumes, too, by the way. The V60 will do volume ventilation with BiPAP. Uh, I'm, I'm a pressure guy, so I always go with pressure, especially with the inherent nature of a, a non-invasive system, which has a leak. I'd rather deliver a pressure than a volume. Um, so you come up to the hospital BiPAP machine, you're going to transport this patient for two hours, and you obviously calculated how much oxygen you have in your tank because you will burn through oxygen like it's going out of style, man. You, you got to look for the leaks and the high minute volumes and things like that. So make sure you pre-calculate how much estimated time you have on your tank in your rig to transport this patient. And then you go look at the settings and this is where things get a little dicey. So the nurse tells you 
the patient is on 10 over 5, 60% oxygen. Well, if it's a V60 vision or most other BiPAP machines, that 10 over 5 is a peak inspiratory pressure of 10 over a CPAP or PEEP of 5. So the delta P is 5. Now, most transport machines, not all, and this is where you need to know your machine, are pressures when you set a pressure, it's above the peep. So if I set my machine, let's call it an LTV Revell or a uh, T Hamilton T1, uh, and I go 10 over 5, my peak historic pressure is going to be 15 because I have additive peep. I have um, pressure above peep, right? So you just got to pay attention to that. And I would give that patient if it was 10 over five, I just took those numbers, their PIP would be 15. That might be detrimental to somebody that has emphysema, you know? So I, I would be really careful and cautious of that. Um, so know, know what your machine and how it delivers the pressure. Is it above the PIP or is it a PIP machine where that limits it to the pressure? So if it was, it would be 10 over five, would be a PIP of 10 over a PEEP of five, which would give me a delta P, a, de a change in pressure of just five. And that's what I would try to match that at. The other thing about the hospital ventilators is that they come with a respiratory rate, right? I know the V60 defaults to four is the lowest you can go. And typically I will set them up to what they need, right? Especially if they're obtunded a little bit and uh, put a 14, 16. It also comes with an inspiratory time. So you got to match that because they're going to feel the difference in that too. So just check the ABG, look at the, the, uh, the, the chest X-ray, you know, why are they on the BiPAP? Have they ever been intubated for this before? All the questions that you need to ask, but definitely know the pressures that you're going to be applying if you do a transfer from the hospital BiPAP machine to your machine. Caleb, what do you got? Yeah. Um, a lot. So, Trying to, because my brain tries to keep it a little bit, uh, I need to know the why behind it. And so I didn't understand this for, for the longest time, especially because, I mean, in the transport world for years, we didn't necessarily get many of these patients. Uh, I could still remember just transporting them on the back of the truck with CPAP masks that was the flow generator that just hooked up straight to the bottle, uh, to the bottle. Those old Pulmadine masks that you would set with the peep valve that are peep, uh, peep set uh there on the on the top of the of the actual mask and you could set it at five centimeters or ten centimeters of water. That's what I was used to for the longest time. And then we started getting into the transport worlds with the ventilators and trying to see CPAP, CPAP with pressure support, bi-level, which is IPAP and EPAP. And then you were trying to figure out the delta pressure uh in between here. So I want to tell you I want to take and break this down a little bit, just a little bit more. Uh so when he's talking about pressure set above the peep so if you have 10 over 5, um, then yes, if you take your IPAP minus your EPAP, that's going to give you your delta pressure, which is 5. But now let's take it break, uh, take it a step further. 10 over 5 means the pressure set above the PEEP. 5 is your PEEP. That's your baseline. That's what you're having. So that's what's the constant continuous positive airway pressure that's on the bottom, the PEEP, on the expiratory side. 
On the inspiratory side, you're setting it on 10. So if it's a cumulative vent, additive vent, you're going to hear several things, a peep compensated vent, some of these other things and stuff too. That's good. That's what he's talking about, the pressure above the peep, because then you're putting 10 above the baseline of five to make a cumulative of 15 for your total pressure or your peak inspiratory pressure. That's what your total pressure should actually be seeing. If you're having questions about that and your uh, your vent does give you pressure volume and, and flow, uh, then you could actually go back over to your pressure waveform and actually see that your pressures are actually hitting a total of 15. On the inner facility, or the not inner facility vents, but the, but the hospital vents like the V60, get with the RT at bedside and ask them, is this a PIP vent? Is this the PAP vent? Uh, and, and ask them if it's 10 over 5, are you getting inspiratory pressures of 10 or total pressures of like 15 to try to start that conversation with the RT at bedside? Uh, we saw this a lot with COVID challenges with some of our, our crews that would actually get to bedside. Is uh, is this cumulative? Is this non-cumulative? Is this additive? There's all kinds of adjectives out there to to actually describe some of these ventilators. And understanding that terminology is detrimental to your patient because if you're if they're expecting a total pressure of 15 and then you just drop them on a non-cumulative vent down to 10, uh, then you've just decreased their inspiratory side by five. Uh, and so that's that's big time detrimental to your patient. The other thing that uh, I do want to discuss also is whether he's talking about with a uh, delta pressure. If you're having an IPAP and an EPAP, and you're, there's a gradient that's in between there. That's the differences in between there is actually called your delta pressure. Some people will actually call that pressure support or just the support to the patient. So increasing that gradient is also going to increase the, uh, the volume that's actually going to be supplied to the patient. If you decrease that vice versa, then you're also going to decrease some of the volume that's actually going to your patient as well. Anything off on that shelf or does that make it a little bit more clear, Jerome? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind-the-scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Doctors Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. It makes it. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> still wrapping my head around it. Um yeah, go into the delta pressure or pressure support again, because you, you said that a while ago, and that's something that kind of really resonated with me is um, delta pressure and pressure support. Uh, kind of uh, go a little deeper on that, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, so, well, Shaw, if I tell you on what I described with the delta pressure, would you say anything different? Um Maybe maybe explain it just a little bit different on the how to increase the volume side and to, and to supply a little bit more support to them. Is that the way that you teach, or do you have a different uh, philosophy on this one? 
I, I read, I do what you do, and then I read their faces, and then I, and then I go <laughs> off on tangents. I, I, it's it, it delta p just means change in pressure, right? And what is that change in pressure coming off of? It's coming off the bottom, which is the peep or the CPAP. If I go up on the delta P, I'm expected to get bigger tidal volumes. If I go down on the delta P, I'll get smaller tidal volumes. That's how I adjust my blood gas and or end tidal CO2 by raising or lowering the delta P, right? And I don't want to go too deep into what, you know, restrictions delta P are in ARDS. They, you know, some studies in intubated patients, they keep the delta P 13 or 15, somewhere around there. You don't want to be any higher than that because that's the stretch of the lung. Right. That's how much you're actually stretching the lung. But don't try to, I mean, when we say PS, pressure support ventilation, that is this, the setting that you're putting there is the delta P. It's the same right. thing. It's all Correct. semantics. Exactly. Um, the one thing that gets confusing because we're throwing around all these acronyms, the one thing I, I try to break down and make it simpler to the patient, to the, to the practitioner that's going bedside to change a patient from a hospital either ventilator or a BiPAP machine, doesn't matter, is look on the screen of the ventilator or BiPAP machine and find the PIP, the peak in story pressure, or the P-peak, whatever it is. It's usually the top left or the top right. Why? Because it's the most important measurement, right? Flow generator, you want to see how much pressure it's taking to get either the volume or how much pressure is being delivered. When you find that peak inspiratory pressure, and your machine is a PAP, a pressure above PEEP type machine, all you have to do is the math, right? So if your peak inspiratory right. pressure is 20 and your PEEP is 5, you subtract the PEEP from the peak inspiratory pressure and the, it's 15. That's your delta P. That's your pressure support. That's whatever. It's a simple math equation as long as you, as long as you understand the, uh, the numbers, right? So it all starts with knowing what the peak story pressure the patient is on. And that's the number that we teach you to trend on transport in volume ventilation. Cause if that rises, you need to do an intervention, but we're in pressure ventilation, right? So that's always going to be the same if that's what you're looking for, that particular pressure. So find the PIP or the peak pressure, subtract your bottom number, which is the PEEP or the CPAP. And there's your delta P, right? Again, it gets back to knowing your machine. Okay. Maybe that will that will suffice for now. I, I think you know, doing a case I, study a little bit later on. Would, I just had a light bulb. That perspective. Go ahead, Jerome. No, the, that's that. That's all it took is a light bulb. Okay. It just it had to. Uh, it it had. I had to hear it from both of you guys to for me to understand it. Uh, there are a couple other questions that I, I that I could ask, but I'm gonna hold off and see which way you guys are going with this because I don't want to open up another can of worms. So I'm, I'm gonna hold off on that right now, and uh, it may be relevant in just a minute, but I'm gonna see where you guys are going with this. All right. So getting back to the original uh, changeover from a hospital BiPAP machine to your transport uh, BiPAP machine or settings, you got to make sure your machine does some form of BiPAP and most will, right? So I've even had older machines and tricked them into doing non-invasive. They didn't claim to do non-invasive, but I would put them in SIMV, zero out the respiratory rate and use pressure support over PEEP, right? Um, 
that would not have a rate attached to it at that point. I could put a rate to it if I use the SIMV if I wanted to, and I'd also have to put an eye time. But keep in mind, no matter what machine you have, and I don't care which one it is, the patient's going to feel a difference for sure. Even if you have the best turbine-driven ventilator with the most flow available, it's not going to feel the same as a V60 or a Vision or whatever because those machines can kick out some flow. So just be aware they need to talk to the patient and tell them, I got your back. You know, don't worry if you need more air, I'll give it to you. Right. And if that's the case, if, and this is where you get limited with these piston driven ventilators that they can only reach a certain amount of flow. And if there's a leak, that's a problem. If they have a high minute volume de- demand, let's say they're on, uh, uh, 18 over seven or eight, right? Um, and, and that would be a pip of 18. Generally, if I have a patient on BiPAP, and this is just my experience. If I have a patient on non-invasive ventilation, full face mask with a good seal, and they're needing 20 centimeters of pressure, and I'm going to call that the peak inspiratory pressure, they're needing that much pressure over a peep of eight. So that would be 12 over eight on our, you know, T1 or or uh, LTV or Revell. 12 over eight would give me a pip of 20. If they're needing that and needing more than that, at that point, I'm starting to think we may need to kind of intubate here because not invade. Now, I'm not saying to do that. I'm just telling you my rule of thumb and my experience has told me if I can't meet my ventilation and oxygenation needs at 20 over eight or whatever it is, 20 over seven or 10, it doesn't even matter. Um, or 10 over that, you know what I'm talking about? The pip of 20, anything over 20. Sometimes I was going as high as 22. Uh, some morbidly obese patients, but, and, and, you know, I know people on with OSA that are on 24, right. But I'm saying for critical care transport, um, I'm starting to think about intubating. So just keep that in the back pocket. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. Absolutely, because you know, twenty what is it? Twenty centimeters of water actually starts to increase or open up that gastric valve into the stomach anyway. So you start over uh, uh, overflating uh, the uh, the stomach, and they start getting into the you know CPAP bellies. We see it with the kids first, right? But because they're very easier to see, but it actually can actually happen in the in in the adults too, especially with those with weaker diaphragms or something else that you know we always have to worry about uh, some of those physiological processes that sometimes we don't necessarily get a chance to think about in the heat of the moment because we're there. Go ahead, Shaw. Yeah, that's a great point because we used to have a guideline if anybody was on a pressure of eighteen, a pip of eighteen non-invasively, we put an OG tube in them. Yep. And we, we all do for the neonates. Of course, we do that all the time, but, right. uh, and that's mandatory because it, it, it definitely, 
diminishes the ability to breathe spontaneously. Um, <clears throat> but for an adult, we would just do an OG if it was 18 or over. So, but th those are red flags of like, hey, maybe we're heading towards, you know, endotracheal intubation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, and I'll admit, I was one of the first people to actually miss it too. Sometimes I didn't necessarily think about it until I started seeing these patients on the other side inside the hospital when I worked in the ERs and the ICUs. I'd also see this, and that was the first thing that we actually did. And, and then it just started connecting with me. It's like, man, I wish I'd have thought about that before. And, you know, you bring different things into your practices as you're, as, as you get more skilled. So that's the whole point of having, having a little bit more um, confidence with these settings as you're going through. It was important that we got to those points to start doing the tweak abilities, what we call about the tweak abilities of some of these settings too. And so let's talk about the first one, you know, and in, in these, these are more along the lines for patient synchronization, uh, whichever th that you have on your ventilator, it could be a trigger. It could be a flow sensitivity. It could be a rise time. It could be a P ramp, uh, or it could be an expiratory or expiratory trigger sensitivity, which is like a cycle percentage. And it could also be a TI max. So, so let's dive into that shelf. If you don't care, uh, let's start off with trigger and see how, uh, or the sensitivity setting, which, uh, which one that you want to take from there and see how this is going to be tweakability for some of the patients. And if it's going to be sacrificing anything on the backside, when we make those setting adjustments. Sure. The, the sensitivity or trigger is really important. Um, so, so you gotta kind of figure is you, is the patient able to trigger a breath right now? Remember, the sensitivity or trigger, patient trigger, is usually set at a default or left at where it was the last time. You want to know if your machine is pressure triggered or flow triggered. Let's hope it's flow triggered because it's more sensitive as flow triggering than pressure triggering is. And you want to make sure that setting doesn't cause auto cycling where it's too sensitive, but you also want to make sure that the patient's able to draw a breath and the machine responds to said pressure or volume. So with leaks, with non-invasive, <laughs> it becomes a problem because when you have a leak, sometimes the machine thinks the patient wants a breath and they start firing breaths that the patient doesn't want. And that happens in the neonatal world. So you got to watch that. And that becomes a, a learned art of finding out where that's that spot is that sweet spot is where the patient can trigger a breath yet not cause auto cycling if there's a leak or an uncuffed trach or two but let's stay with the non-invasive people so um typically go with the default setting that comes with the machine and uh it's it's, it's on the hamilton t1 the flow setting is five it sets at five liters because the flow sensor is right there at the patient and that's all fine. That's great. As long as there's no leak. If there's a leak, the patient may not be able to trigger a breath. Okay. So, um, you may have to tweak that a little bit too. So that's the, the, uh, sensitivity and or trigger breath, uh, setting. And that become that, that's a lost art right there. That's a tough one. The, the next one, make sure, like, remember, if you're going to put a rate on them, a respiratory rate, which we call sometimes a backup rate. That would be with your more obtunded patient that's on BiPAP. <clears throat> you want to put a rate of 12, 14, 16, whatever it is. You want to adjust that eye time, right? Don't, don't assume they're on the right eye time. If they're breathing in the 20s, I would take that eye time from one second and probably drop it to 0.8 seconds to prevent 
uh, any air trapping. Remember, they still have to exhale if they're getting a positive pressure breath. Same as intubated patient, they could air, st- they could breath stack, and that's going to run into big problems with you there. Yep. So what, one thing on this one, you you got into eye time, okay? For most people in the pre-hospital world, and I'm speaking until I knew, you know, a little bit more about this. Um, Talk to me about eye time. Why can we set an eye time on a patient that's not intubated? And this is uh, what mode do we have to be in? Is it a specific mode? Um, And I know we're probably fixing to get into the the Hamilton T1 with the non-invasive mode spontaneous timed. And that's the one where we're actually trying to get into it because now that's the one most comfortable or most comparable to uh, what the hospital ventilators are offering with the backup uh, rate, like you said, or an adjustable rate. And then we can, you know, kind of talk about the total eye time and then how this is limiting with the total, uh, total eye time max on there. And then the uh, ETS thing on there. So talk to me about the eye time. How, how are we able to set it? And why are we able to set it on this mode, this particular mode? Yeah, well, that's if you're in the non-invasive <clears throat> ST mode on the Hamilton T1, you will it'll pop up. It, it'll pop up in the uh, in in the control window, and it'll show you an eye time and a rate. So remember, if you're if you're delivering a respiratory rate, whether it's intubated or non-intubated, there's an eye time attached to that rate. With pressure support, there is no eye time. Pressure support alone, P support alone, there's no eye time. It's just a pressure. It throws flow out there to meet that pressure, and it cycles out when you want it to cycle out based on your respiratory trigger sensitivity or your flow termination or whatever. Um, and we'll get into that in a minute. I don't want to go off. You're asking about the eye time. So for the basic ventilators, if you're trying to match a hospital BiPAP machine like a V60 revision, they come with a rate and an eye time, whatever you want to set that at. For the basic ventilators, you can mimic that very easily. I'll give you an example with the LTV 1200. You could go into SIMV mode and do pressure ventilation, not volume ventilation. Aim for pressure. That's not a mode, it's a flow target. So you switch from volume to pressure mode. Right. You got SIMV, you could put a rate of 12 in there. You could put a pressure support for those spontaneous breaths of whatever you so desire. That rate of 12, you'd want to target a tidal volume that you're looking for based on the ideal body weight, six, eight milliliters per kilogram of ideal body weight or what they're on, providing the blood gas looks good. So you could add a rate to that. You could mimic, theoretically, what the V60 is giving the patient in the hospital by doing that on, on the LTV 1200, and you would set the eye time. You, you'd copy the eye time off of the settings that are on the V60. You, you, the bottom uh, panels, you'll see settings. You just hit that, and it'll give you a, the screen will pop up, and it'll show you what the eye time is. Or you could talk to the RT. That, that's that's probably the best way to have a conversation at bedside with the RT. So that's how I would mimic a V60, right? But with the Hamilton T1, provided you bought the non-invasive software, not everybody does, but if you buy the, um, and I recommend you do, if you buy the non-invasive software, you'll get NIV and you hit control panel, it'll look exactly like the spontaneous 
control panel for an intubated patient. It's the same thing. Right. I saw that too. Same thing. Mm -hmm. So if you just want to do pressure support ventilation, you can get away with it. You could trick, not trick. You you could just set up the machine to actually do, you know, PSV and, and CPAP. It's all it is. But if you want to give the rate and not do the SIMV route that I said, the, the, uh, the budget NIVST, the one I just described as the budget model, you go get the NIVST. It'll give you a rate and an eye time, right? And you peep your FIO2 and a pressure. You go to the more panel. And the cool thing is it limits the, you talked about the TI max. Right. That's a big question. Right. Well, well, it defaults at (laughs) 1.5 seconds on an adult, right? Mm -hmm. So what that does is if there is a leak, and let's just say the P support, not the P control, the P support you're trying to give is, let's say, 15, 10 over 5, whatever you want to call it. You're trying to give that, but there's a leak. The guy's got a beard or whatever. And the machine's going to just keep trying to push that pressure in until it reaches that pressure. Well, you're now saying, I don't want you to keep pushing that pressure in longer than 1.5 seconds because the patient's going to go nuts. They can't exhale. Correct. Yep. So you'll limit that eye time, which is really cool. I I mean, it's a really good feature, I I believe. It's a good feature. Yeah, it's a great feature. But it can be limiting. You just have to know where it's limiting. Are you gonna, right. I know you're going to cover it. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no apologies. <laughs> no apologies. And and then you get into the P ramp, which we talked about previous module, where that has to do with the first milliseconds of flow going in. You could send the flow in faster. You could taper it back and make it go in a little slower, right? So if, if somebody's air hungry, you want to go to like zero, defaults at 100 milliseconds. Give a nice curve in there as the flow goes in. It's comfortable. But if they're air hungry, they're really sucking air. They either need more pressure. And then once you find that sweet spot, I don't want to get any, I don't want to go beyond this pressure, but they still look a little anxious. Let me just give them, put it to zero. Or you could slow it down the initial milliseconds of flow and walk it back to 200 milliseconds, whatever. Now that's going to, that's going to affect your volume a little bit too. Just be aware of that. Anytime you play with that, it's going to, affect your exhaled tidal volume, your VTE, which is really what you're watching because that's going to affect your minute volume, right? Right. And and their rate. So that's important to watch that. But that's a tweakability, right? So I, I look at the TI, TI, TI Max more of a, a mandatory, like I, I need to cut this eye time off at a certain point. I don't know if that's so much I would classify it as a tweakable uh, tweakability piece as it the P ramp and the ETS are. So let's move from P ramp. I could get the initial flow going in. The ETS is I could kind of manipulate the flow going out of the patient as to when it terminates from inspiratory to expiratory. And that's really, really important too for comfort. Right. Because a lot of my patients would be like, I can't exhale, I can't exhale, I can't exhale. I say, okay, let me just get in there and do the ETS, expiratory trigger sensitivity. It's the same as flow termination on the uh, the Revell and the um, LTVs. And, and what that does is it terminates the flow at a certain percentage of the peak flow that it's trying to get to reach your pressure support. I know that gets confusing, but just rule of thumb is if for your ETS, if the patient feels like they can't exhale, 
you go ahead and walk that ETS number back. It goes out as far as 80 and it's a percentage. And I want you to just kind of like the best thing you could possibly do with everything we're talking about here is get a full face mask in your spare time, put a bacteria filter on the end of the circuit and go ahead and feel this yourself. Now, I don't recommend you put a high peep level on yourself or high pressures. And if you're a smoker, don't even bother to do this. I recommend you quit smoking. I'm an ex-smoker, by the way. Um, anyway, so try it yourself so you could feel what I'm talking about, right? We teach this in labs, all of us, but you're never really going to know exactly what we're talking about till you do it. And that's what we do in our vent labs. We'll have you walk through it and feel it and go, oh, like Jerome said, light bulb moment. Now I could feel Absolutely. I, I know what this expiratory trigger sensitivity does for the patient. Now, most COPDers, I tweak. I'll walk it back a little further from the default and put it more towards 50 and 60 because I want them to be able to exhale quicker so they can, we, so we don't breath stack them, right? You know, they're going to air traps, uh, a COPD or asthmatic. But again, you're going to sacrifice tidal volume, right? Because the flow is going to shut off quicker. Right. And it's not going to fill that lung up. So expect your exhale tidal volumes to come back a little bit less. So just be aware of that. You know, just check your alarms and watch your end tidal CO2s and all that. Cause in the end, remember with non-invasive, it's all about making the patient comfortable. Cause if they're not, they're going to start ripping that mask off and then you got a whole world of poop coming at you. Yes. So. <clears throat> I was. <clears throat> I get it out in a minute. Hang on, the sinuses are killing me. And you live in the <laughs> south, I swear. It's like it's just this time of year just kills you. <laughs> so, thought we needed an airway there for a minute. <clears throat> yeah, almost. I mean, coming close to it. May need it again here in just a minute. Well, I was fist to ask, Do we need to employ some of the therapies that we've been uh, talking about, brother? Brother. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. <laughs> You know, different ventilators are going to have different settings there that you that are different settings that you can do in different tweakabilities. And we call it tweakabilities because it is at this point in time, you're kind of fine tuning. Uh, just the other day, I was getting a call and I think Jerome was actually with us uh, from one of our people. I was actually calling and our question uh, was trying to get out is, are they having trouble exhaling? Or are they having trouble getting enough air in? And it's two different properties on this one, two different pathways, but you have to know and you have to be watching your patient. If they're unable to exhale the entire time and they're saying that just can't get the air out, then yes, then you would take out the ETS or the cycle percentage and increase it. I know that kind of sounds weird, but you would increase the percentage off of it and it's going to terminate that flow earlier. Like Shaw said, just debriefing on this one. When you terminate the flow earlier, you have to understand you are sacrificing some of the pressure support or the volume that's being delivered to the patient. So understanding that as a big issue. And so you might have to go back up with the inspiratory pressure side uh, just to kind of sustain uh, the uh, the volume that's actually going to be given to the patient. If you're if you're trigger if you're uh, terminating that flow a little bit earlier, the TI max, like you said, you know, can actually be looked at as also sort of uh, giving a total ITI max for some of that stuff. So on the NIVST on the Hamilton T1, this could actually be limiting. Sometimes you're going to have to necessarily you could potentially have to push that out just a little bit more. But like you said, you're, you're needing to make sure that that's not, uh, that's being met each time. 
<clears throat> and then understanding on the IPAP versus the EPAP um, and the delta pressure uh, that you're providing to your patient it is truly an inspiratory side and, it, uh, and an expiratory side. You know, on some ventilators, you'll hear it as a biphasic motion that's kind of coming in on working on the inspiratory side and the expiratory side. And that's truly, truly when you actually start getting into the flow uh, flow capabilities of each vent, the turbine-driven vents versus the uh, piston-driven vents. Uh, since the piston-driven vents are going to be severely limiting sometimes, uh, or not sometimes, but can be limiting on the uh, liters per minute, hundred to hundred and twenty liters per minute max. Some of these, uh, some of these tests that uh, we've actually uh, seen before uh, in the manuals. <clears throat> But that goes back to actually understanding and knowing the manual. I know I'm a big manual person, but if you don't understand your vent and you don't understand the tweakabilities of this, then uh, you're going to miss some things that you could actually impact uh, clinical care for your patient, make it easier for some of these patients. Remember, you know, just I always take it in part to uh, like a kid, like a kid for the first time that you see with Darth Vader mask. I mean, and you hear him. <laughs> Don't make me do that again. But anyway, that sound there that you hear, it's the same thing for them. And they're going through a high critical time right now in their life. And maybe this is the first time that they've ever been placed on on a non-invasive uh, full face mask or something. So you also have to kind of get them with, to the comfortability of the uh, of the mask. Uh, talk to them, coach, coach. But we coach uh, as we're making adjustments. Um, a lot of times I've seen a lot of people that will talk on the backside. It's like, well, we need to coach them. Okay, yes, we do need to coach them. But you also under need to understand is how your settings are actually could be detrimental to your patient at the time. So there's a point where we coach, but there's also a point where we have to need to really seriously understand the tweakabilities of what we're actually doing and to make it more comfortable for our patients. Uh, over here, but I know we're getting up against our time again, but um, guys, anything else to add on this one? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't stress enough to know your equipment. You know, that that's just the bottom line. Uh, know its capabilities. Don't assume um, practice, you know, no PIP, know what PAP is, you know, know the blood gas is inside out if you're going to transport a patient on, on a, from a hospital ventilator to your transport ventilator, you know, take your time, man. This is life and death for some people, right? And if you don't want to have to intubate, you know, while you're up in the air or in the back of a rig, if you don't have to. So plan ahead. It's the best thing I could say. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about everything that you guys were talking about. Uh, numerous light bulb moments went off. Um, but I think I'm going to have to agree with, uh, both of you, when you said know your equipment, uh, tweakability, uh, know what you know, how you're going to set things and also, um, coaching your patient as well. Um, I think those three things could probably, uh, if we were going to sum up this podcast, uh, I think those three things would probably be the, the top headlining features of what we were talking about. Um, but I, I think, uh, like when you guys said that, I, th I think we're kind of backed up against the time that we wanted to do today. Um, so, um, guys, do you have anything else that you want to add before, uh, we close this one out? No, I'm good. Uh, 
All right. Well, um, I think what we'll do then is um, thank you guys again for listening to us. We really do appreciate you guys uh, taking the time out of your busy days and listening to what we have um, here. We hope that it inspires you to uh, further education, further know uh, how to deal with these different patients that you will be transporting and dealing with as well. Um, Please go in, send us an email, criticalcaretriad at outlook.com. And uh, we really look forward to seeing you guys uh, communicate with us back and forth. We would like to hear war stories, different things where maybe what we've done has uh, helped you. Uh, any comments, concerns for the podcast as well. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And uh, since no one has anything else, I'll go ahead and close it out for us. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day and we'll see you on the next podcast. Y'all have a great day. See y'all. See you guys. Later. The information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for medical direction or training. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the organization or institution that they may represent. The listeners are advised that the information contained in this podcast should be used in conjunction with professional medical training and best practice guidelines. The host and guests of this podcast take no responsibility for the actions or decisions of the listeners.